Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives we're consumed by all the what if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun if you're like us then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass or play call each week on alternate routes we'll take a flashpoint in sports break down what actually happened then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused follow alternate routes on the wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts you can listen early and ad free right now by joining wondery plus you love them, you hate them, and you can't stop talking about them. Announcers, analysts, pundits, they're all fair game. It's Sports Media Payhem with Alex Reamer. Time to let it rip. Hello, everybody, and welcome into another edition of the Sports Media Mayhem Podcast. My name is Alex Reamer. It's a pleasure to be with you here today on this Thursday, September the 15th. I can't believe we're already in mid-September, but there's nowhere I'd rather be than talking here with all of you. You can, of course, find the show wherever you can find your favorite podcasts. We are available on Spotify, Apple, Google. You know the drill. Download, listen, rate, subscribe, all that helps with our visibility. Tonight is a big night in the world of streaming because it is the first time that Thursday Night Football will be airing exclusively on Amazon and Amazon Prime. We have Chiefs, Chargers, Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert promises to be a barn burner. Al Michaels, Kirk Herbstreet will be on the call along with many other voices. And my prediction is by week four, this won't even be a topic outside of a few geriatrics. I don't think finding Amazon Prime or logging onto Amazon on your favorite tablet is really all that big of a deal. The NFL took the billion-dollar deal. Remember, Amazon is paying the NFL a billion dollars annually to exclusively stream Thursday night football. The NFL took the money and bet that eyeballs will follow the product, and I think that will certainly prove to be the case. Week 1 ratings were great for the league across the board on Fox, CBS, NBC, and ESPN for Monday night football Broncos Seahawks featured 
maybe the worst example of clock management you will ever see, and I'm not exaggerating, Nathaniel Hackett forgot he had three timeouts, <laughs> took the ball out of Russell Wilson's hand, and gave it to their kicker for a 64-yard field goal. I mean, why not, right? You trade half your franchise for Russell Wilson over the offseason for the purpose of taking the ball out of his hands with the game on the line in favor of a 64-yard field goal. Uh, so it was an exciting game. Coaching mishaps, which we all love. And it really had a big game feel, I think partially because of who was on the call. Joe Buck and Troy Aikman made their Monday Night Football debuts. And as I said, it had a big game feel, like all of their telecasts. And the ratings numbers backed that up. 19.9 million people watched Monday night, making it the third most watched Monday night football game since 2009 and the most watched opener ever on ESPN. And last week, as part of our big NFL media roundtable, I spoke with Ben Koo, founder of Awful Announcing. One of the topics I discussed with Ben was the NFL's cultural dominance. Will it only continue to grow? For the foreseeable future, and Monday night showed us the answer is unequivocally yes. 19.9 million people watched Seahawks Broncos, 236% more than who watched the Emmy Awards. So Monday night football blew the Emmys out of the water. I think like 5 million people in changed watched the Emmys. Nearly 20 million people watched Monday night football. And you talk about how the ratings for live TV continue to plummet. Everything just getting hammered. Viewership falling dramatically for everything out there except the NFL. And Monday night showed us why. The NFL can sign new media rights deals for billions and billions of dollars because it is the only thing that people will still watch live. Look at the Emmys. They switch from Monday night to Sunday night. Jimmy Kimmel laying down on the stage while, uh, while, like, while, while Quinta Brunson accepted her award. And none of that mattered. None of that mattered. The NFL still blew the Emmys out of the water. Granted, I think award shows are quite antiquated in 2022. But still, everything on live TV seems to be antiquated. Judging by the ratings, except for the NFL. Speaking of ratings. Monday Night Football ratings, great. Monday Night Football, big game feel. The opposite is, was true of Patriots-Dolphins. Definitely not a big game feel. A one o'clock start in sweltering South Florida. Joe Judge, hope he's still not sweating from wearing that hoodie on the sideline. In the ratings for Patriots-Dolphins, disappointed as well. And that leads me nicely into my conversation with Seth Wickersham, the ultimate Patriots insider, whose book, It's Better to Be Feared, all about the New England Patriots dynasty, the rise and fall is now out in paperback with a new epilogue looking back at the 2021 season and Tom Brady's highly anticipated return to Foxborough. I talk with Seth about a variety of topics on the state of the Patriots, the state of the perception of the Patriots, how Robert Kraft views the Patriots, all of that good stuff. As always with Seth, so many really interesting things. So can't wait to play that conversation for you. And one of the things I mentioned that we do talk about are the TV ratings. The Patriots garnered a 23.9 rating for their loss against the Dolphins on Sunday. Uh, their lifeless 20-7 defeat peaked with a 25.5 rating in the 3 o'clock hour. And that figure is down significantly 
from the Patriots opener against the Dolphins last season, which drew a 33.1 rating in Boston. Now, granted, that game kicked off at 425, a better window than 1 o'clock, but I don't think that time difference is enough to explain the steep decline. And overall, the Patriots averaged a 31.5 local TV, TV rating last season. That means they're currently down 25%. Obviously, week one, uh, one week does not constitute a trend, but you can bet that Robert Kraft, the longtime chair of the broadcast committee, is certainly attuned to those numbers. And look at what happened the last time the Patriots suffered a significant ratings decline. The COVID 2020 year, the Patriots averaged a 26.3 local TV rating. They limped to a 7-9 record. And how did they respond? Well, they responded by shelling out a record number, of gar- a record amount, excuse me, of guaranteed cash and free agency, and drafting Mac Jones with the number 15 overall pick, the first time that Bill Belichick had ever drafted a quarterback in the first round. I would say that was an uncharacteristically aggressive response from the Patriots. And if they continue to stumble, and if the ratings continue to stumble along with their play, the question is, will Robert Kraft have another aggressive response? Sounds like a good question for Seth Wickersham. (laughs) So why not ask him? My conversation with Seth is coming up On the other side, it's a Sports Media Mayhem podcast. Thank you, as always, for listening. This episode is brought to you by ABC. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. Andy finally becomes captain, and she's going to give it her all to be the best leader this station has ever seen. Will she succeed? Get ready for fiery new romances and high adrenaline rescues. Watch the Station 19 season premiere tonight at a new time, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. And welcome back to the show. As I was saying in the open, Seth Wickersham, pleasure to have you here. How are you, sir? I'm great, man. How are you? It's good to see you. Great. Good to see see you. All these years. Um, Totally. So, uh, yeah, you know, let's jump right into it. You have your book on the Patriots. It's better to be feared. It's now out in paperback. There's a new epilogue about the 2021 season as well. Um, and a lot of tidbits about Brady and his return and his very much abbreviated hug with Bill Belichick. <laughs> so before we get into specifics, let me just ask you, we're now three years removed from the Tom Brady era in Foxborough. Why do the Patriots remain so journalistically interesting to you? Oh, I think that, and they'll continue to be journalistically interesting, I think. Not that I have anything working on them, but I just think that they had a unique greatness and a rare greatness. And I was just fascinated to try to learn everything I possibly could and give readers the closest view possible about the forces that led to that greatness and what the costs of that greatness are. And I think that you see the cost playing out you know, quite a bit. I mean, like, especially now, I mean, this past year, very atypical year for Brady. Um, You know, no matter what you ever said about whatever, whatever anyone could ever say about Tom Brady, he always appeared to have a plan. And this year it's been atypically um, emotional, chaotic, (laughs) um, waffling. And, you know, those types of things, um, you know, continue to make these guys interesting for me. Yeah, and that's what struck me most about Brady's shortened retirement. It just seemed to be sloppily handled. I mean, from the fact that they disputed the Schefter report 
to then retire a couple days later, come back 40 days later. But of course, the common denominator is his success on the field. He looked great Sunday night. The Patriots did not look so good Sunday. His success on the field is so routine that it's just kind of easy to take for granted, isn't it? I mean, we we watch him play, and Rick, of course he's going to hit that downfield. Of course he's going to make throws that really a few guys in the history of the league could ever make. But yeah, it's been a strangely impulsive year for Tom. And um, obviously it began late last year where some of his frustrations with the way the Bucks were being run, the fact that he didn't think that they were as buttoned up as maybe they should have been entering the playoffs and just the pressures of life. Um, the fact that you know he was in Tampa most of the year, I think a lot of his family was often in New York where his mm. oldest son lives in Miami where his wife spent a lot of time. Yeah. And, you know, word started to get out that this, that he might call it quits a year earlier than planned. Right. And when those reports started to seep out, Jeff and Adam did a great job of reporting it. It was this odd pushback where right. two people who are so dialed in were, were getting pushback from people close to Tom when in fact those reports were always true and he was always going to retire on that Tuesday, I think it was. Mm-hmm. But then, of course, he retires, and a week later, he's talking about unretiring. Right. And it must have been weird to be his family at that time, to be the reason that he claimed that he was retiring. And then a week later, <laughs> a month later, he says, my place is on the field. That's a very odd... Um, yeah. It must, it must have just been an odd place for them to be in, especially since the frustrations with the bucks and some of the changes that were made in that building just seemed too coincidental to not be the case, not be related. Right. Do you think Brady has a plan now or is he? Well, he's going to be an ambassador and an announcer for Fox. I mean, he clearly has a lot of business plans out there in terms of his Brady brand and TV 12. It's almost like the forgotten one, right? That, right. you know, it still exists and it's still so near and dear to him. Um, it seems like that when he makes that transition, he's going to have a lot of things to keep him busy. The problem of course, is that there's only one thing that makes him feel alive like it does. And he continues to do it at a very high level. Um to get to the Patriots here, but first I want to go to your epilogue. You have a few interesting details about Belichick and Brady in their meeting during mm-hmm. uh, after the game last year. Uh, for those who have not picked up the paperback version yet, could you share a little bit of a, a juicy nugget, if you will, for the audience, Seth? Well, I think that the one thing that as reporters we all wanted to know is what was said in, those, in that 20 minutes after Belichick went and met right. with Brady privately. Um, in the days and weeks after that, you know, both people kept it pretty private, but eventually I think that like words started to seep out. And I think that like, look, I don't think there's always been a like between Brady and Belichick, but there mm. is a love. And I think that that's important. I think that when each of them go into the hall of fame, they'll use that word to describe their affection for one another and it will be sincere. But that said, they had a divorce. And before the Patriots played the Bucs last year, we started to see real public affirmation of a lot of things that people like me and others, Tom Curran, had reported in the past about um, especially the displeasure with how Brady was treated the last couple of years in, in New England. And I think that their relationship is so complicated that 
they left that meeting feeling like agreeing to keep it civil. You know, mm. let's let's stop airing the dirty laundry, right. especially on the Brady side. But they were in no rush to necessarily get remarried. I just think that like a relationship mm. as complicated as nuanced and as sustaining as theirs was, that's not going to get fixed in a 20 minute meeting or maybe ever. Right. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one of a kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I love that. They loved each other, but didn't necessarily like each other. <laughs> Very interesting. That's true with you. I think maybe a lot of romantic relationships. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and one thing, one tidbit in your book, it's better to be feared that really struck out to me when I read it last year is that Bill Belichick would tell people that he kind of wished, maybe not kind of fully wished that Philip, someone like Philip Rivers <laughs> was his quarterback, right? Someone who could get the job done, but didn't have all the extra trappings of Brady. And that to me just speaks a lot about how Belichick views superstardom and the quarterback position as a whole. Well, that was early in the dynasty's run. And if you remember, you know, Bill Parcells always said, you know, you'd never want a celebrity quarterback. Their template was Phil Simms, who was the complete opposite of a right. celebrity quarterback, just someone who was unassuming and reliable and this consummate teammate and team player. And Brady, of course, was the consummate teammate and team player, but he had aspirations beyond the football field, even if that's what he always returned to and his career and his life t clearly took a, a road towards being something more than a football superstar, you know, a, a cultural icon. And yeah, you know, he would sometimes Belichick would sometimes voice that, you know, out loud in the off season, you would see Brady popping up at various Hollywood events or galas and he did once mumble that, that, you know, he was a little envious of guys like Philip Rivers and the people who coached him because, you know, people like Philip were just so keyed into football. But, you know, right. I think that time has proven that that's not <laughs> that was an inaccurate read of Tom that maybe more than anybody in the history of the game, he was able to balance peak performance on the field with all of those things off the field that could have derailed things but didn't for him. Yeah, most definitely. And that's, oh, I didn't know the time span that Belichick was saying that earlier in the dynasty, not, not during the second wind of it, if you will. Um, excuse my awkwardness, but I'd like to read back to you a passage <laughs> that you wrote sure. in your epilogue, because I want, I, it leads into my next question sure. about how the NFL tried to move to other teams, stars and belief system, but the expansiveness of Brady, both in terms of an ambassador on and off the field was singular, failing to extend to his current team. After all, the current iteration of Belichick's Patriots were a promising team on the rise, but one of many promising teams on the rise across the league. Robert Kraft was an owner deserving of a bust in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, but he was one of many who deserved that honor and one of many who the voters were in no rush to induct. So the way I read that is that Tom Brady the, is, was the difference maker for the Patriots during their dynastic years. Um, I'm wondering if you think that Robert Kraft – 
has come to that conclusion as well. Well, yeah, I don't think he was the difference maker, but obviously like he's just such a special player. And when he walked away, I thought that there was an emotion that was missing that we had just grown used to over the past two plus decades of watching football. And it was that certainty that like there was nobody else that you would want in any situation other than Tom Brady. And when he was gone, even if it was just for that month, I felt like that the league was kind of missing that. And those who missed it clearly extended to his former team. I mean, yes, they found a competent quarterback in Mac Jones, um, but the AFC has changed since Brady left and competence isn't going to be enough to cut it anymore, right. especially with the quarterbacks that the AFC oh, has. It's it's overpopulated with great ones. Matt Ryan might be the ninth best quarterback right. in the AFC. Right. And so Mac Jones is going to have to be better than competent. He's going to have to be special. And it's unclear whether that will be the case. It's unclear whether lightning can strike in a bottle twice. Obviously the Patriots won the lottery with Tom Brady and developed the hell out of him. But as we know, those special guys, they don't come around that often. And without him, I think the Patriots, they don't have that kind of extra edge that we had become accustomed to them having for so long. All right. So I give myself about a C in terms of reading comprehension. (laughs) No, (laughs) but, um, but do you think that, Robert Kraft has come to that realization over the last. Well, I mean, I think that Bill thought that Tom's best days were behind him. Yeah. He opened the door for Brady to leave. Brady walked right out of it and Kraft sided with Bill right. on that decision. You know, he had said for years that Brady was going to retire on his own terms. And that was a guarantee from the top. And, you know, Brady ended up walking away on his own terms, but it was because the Patriots had, going back to August of 2019 and that contract negotiation that didn't go very well. And Brady and Giselle put their house on the market 48 hours after a new contract was announced. Um, Hmm. You know, he knew that it was it. And there's just been more reporting that's come out since then and penalties for the Miami dolphins that showed that that was the case. And so um, how could, can you just imagine being Robert Kraft watching Tom Brady win a super bowl with, the freaking Tampa Bay Buccaneers and then come back to Foxborough as a buck. I just, I can't even imagine how sick that made him. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas city, go Kevin or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, most definitely. And that's a good leeway, a good uh, a good lead-in to my next question about Robert Kraft. Patriots ratings for their loss to the Dolphins down 25% in comparison to their average last year. Obviously, one week does not constitute a trend, but I do think it is telling about the general feel around the team as the longtime chair of the broadcast committee, how attuned do you think Robert Kraft is to those numbers? It's one of those metrics that the elite owners really take a lot of pride in. Like Jerry Jones is so proud that the Cowboys outdraw everybody, even in their, even though they haven't won a Super Bowl since what, 2000 or 1995. Right. Um, 
he is so proud of of the cultural force that the Cowboys are. And look, the Patriots are a cultural force. I mean, they are a, a global team. But to have a season kind of entering, you know, with his you always like hope that things enter on like the highest note, right? And then they continue to build from there. And, you know, judging by one week at least, that was obviously a team and obviously a matchup that it didn't draw, I think, what the Patriots are accustomed to drawing. Now, what does that mean long-term? I doubt very much, but I'm sure that it's not a great number for anyone to see, especially someone who takes so much pride in what the Patriots have been have become over the past two decades. And I'm interested about Robert Kraft, and you talked about this a bit uh, in the podcast you did last week with Andrew Callahan of the Herald, but this offseason, I think it was pretty surprising to hear Kraft make that statement that we haven't won a playoff game in three years and no one's more disappointed in that than I am. And then also talking a little bit about their lack of drafting success in recent years as well. But I've heard a couple of different explanations for that from people around the team. Curious your take on it. Do you think that that was Robert Kraft truly speaking from the heart or more of him maybe playing the good cop role to the media in comparison to Belichick's bad cop role? I think that Robert Kraft can play a role in certain situations and can be a front in certain situations. I'm guessing that that was a sanitized version of raw feelings. Oh, sanitized. Um, I mean, he fired Pete Carroll a year after they had made the playoffs. Um, right. He is someone who just has no appetite for anything other than being one of the teams at the end. And he has been blessed beyond belief, um, partially because of his own decisions. I mean, one could argue that trading for Bill Belichick has turned out to be the greatest trade in NFL history, but he's used to being in those situations and that he's not, and that he might notice that the Patriots, like we discussed, kind of lost that magic in the year since Tom Brady has left has to be, has to like kind of disgust him on a primal level, I'm guessing. Hmm. Yeah. And it is interesting that in, after 2020, their seven and nine season, the Cam Newton COVID season, the Patriots responded by shelling out a record amount of guaranteed money in free agency, drafting Mac Jones in the first round. So I think you see right there, lousy season and a really aggressive response and uncharacteristically aggressive response from the team over the off season. No doubt. I mean, drafting a quarterback for the in the first round for the first time since Bill Belichick had been a head coach. And, um, you know, Bill always says he's he's taking things year by year. And I think that that's true. And um, I was asked at one point, like, do you think Bill is playing for 2023? I mean, I have no idea <laughs> about that. It, it sort of assumes that this season was already lost. Well, I'm not sure that that's the case, even though clearly offensively they have a lot of work to do. Yeah. Um, and I was also going to ask about, oh, here, this is an easy one. Belichick, <laughs> do you think he will leave on his own accord? I do. I, I just, do. I can't see Robert Kraft forcing a move there unless Bill was unwilling to walk away and there was outside circumstances like health reasons or whatever. I, I, I like I said, I think it seems so far-fetched that it's almost unimaginable yeah. You just think about what Bill Belichick has meant for that franchise, what he's meant for Robert Kraft personally, right? Um, how he's helped increase everybody's wealth and stature that even if they went five years, 
without a playoff appearance or a playoff win, you'd still have to think that Bill Belichick could coach that team as long as he wants. But who knows? Who knows? This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. It is interesting that Belichick right now, and we talk about how the week one ratings down in comparison to the average last year, but Belichick is still, he really is the Patriots brand at this point. If you take Belichick out of the equation, what do you have? You know, so I think that adds on to your. There's point. no doubt, and he's kind of an evolving brand. I mean, he's a different coach than he was years ago. I mean, remember when, gosh, that AFC Championship game against Jacksonville, where the Patriots are down double digits, and a Brady-led rally, you know, sends them to the Super Bowl again, and he has that, you know, gashed hand. And Belichick's asked about it at the press conference. And, you know, Brady's not even out of the shower. And and Belichick says, well, it's not open heart surgery we're talking about. I mean, one of the just coldest things you can kind of imagine. And now they, you know, they come out against the Dolphins and and really offensively struggled all day. Um, That's not breaking news. And, you know, he's someone who just takes the long view and, I don't want to say makes excuses, but kind of tries to yeah. um, be encouraging and positive in a way that for someone right. who was such a fierce bottom liner for his entire yeah. Super Bowl run, it's just kind of interesting that, that you know, since Brady left, that's who he has, has morphed right. into. And I think that even when Cam Newton was there, right. um, you know, he would kind of, I don't want to say again, make excuses, but he would justify Cam Newton's performance and give it a positive spin in a way that, you know, man, 2016 season, Brady's out because of the deflate gate suspension. Belichick's asked a question about Brady's longevity, his astounding longevity, and manages to turn it into a compliment for Jimmy Garoppolo, right. saying that right. the, it was a seamless transition in the offense between the two of them. Just a different guy now. It's really interesting to watch. Yeah. And, Maybe the common denominator is Brady, right? He was very complimentary of Garoppolo when he was here and now Newton and Mac Jones. Yeah, I have noticed that with the media too, Belichick has, you mentioned, made yeah made more excuses for the team. What do you make of the fact that, I mean, I know you're in the New England area. I'm not sure how attuned you are to sports talk and everything. Obviously, the people who call sports talk radio are a significant subset of, are, you know, a different subset of fans than probably most. But Belichick is getting a lot of heat around here. Um, and in the media as well, do you think, like, are you number one, a little surprised at how kind of quickly that's happened? And do you think Belichick is cognizant of that at all? Oh, I'm sure he's cognizant of it. I think that, look, Boston's an intense market. I've experienced that personally. You've lived it and you and I have been a part of it for a long time. I mean, we've been talking for years now. And so I'm not surprised by that, but look, I don't, if I'm being critical of Belichick, I'm not being critical of Belichick in the way that he's building these teams. This is hard. <laughs> and there's a lot of great coaches who end up coming back down to earth um, in a league that's like reverse engineered to make everybody average. But that said, 
Robert Kraft and Tom, Robert Kraft and Bill Belichick were the two people more than anybody else on earth who should have known better than to underestimate Tom Brady and let him go to a different right. team. And yet they did that. Yes. And that's not a decision that I would say is going to haunt Belichick. He's way too successful to have something like that haunt him, but it's always going to be something he was known for <laughs> that he let Brady right. walk. And, right. um, you know, that to me, as we know throughout the years, just how important it is to have a great quarterback. And here they had the greatest of all time. Um, that to me is something that when I look at Belichick's performance, I look at more than, um, you know, his roster building moves now, which again, as great as he is, everybody has hits or misses and, and makes great decisions and flawed ones. And one of the big decisions that Belichick has made over the last couple of years is Matt Patricia and the role that he is now has in the organization. In your book, you write that the Malcolm Butler benching stemmed from a disagreement, a spat, if you will, that he had with Patricia. We've read reports this week that Kendrick Bourne's benching was due to a disagreement with Matt Patricia. Um, and just from afar, it seems like Patricia is really positioned as the heir apparent that even Josh Daniels now was. And Patricia is accompanying Belichick to league meetings. Patricia is signing the contracts. Patricia is now coaching offense. Patricia was publicly given credit for engineering the Devontae Parker trade. Curious with all the insight you have, what do you th what's up with Matt Patricia? <laughs> just, just to ask it plainly. And what role and how do you think Bill Belichick views him? And is he, you know, an heir apparent? Well, he's a he's an astute football mind. I mean, that said, I think there was always coaches who kind of wondered, you know, does Bill have a soft spot for Matt? And right. it's clear that he values him. What they're doing offensively, I do think, is an extension of things that Bill has done over the years with varying success. I mean, in 1995, the Cleveland Browns had 15 offense, 15 coaches, but no offensive coordinator. And when Belichick was asked about it, he would say the same things that he says now. You know, we all pitch in. We all know how to coach offense. That said, while Belichick has presided over some unbelievable offenses and maybe the greatest offense in NFL history in 2007, nobody is talking about the early 90s Browns <laughs> offense no. as, you know, a, a, a watershed moment for the league or even a good offense. And, um, you know, the fact that Patricia and Joe Judge and Belichick are so involved in offense. Um, I think that I, I'm willing to give them a lot of patience because I think that they have a while to find their identity. But all of the reports that came out of training camp, especially Greg Bedard, who just watched them so closely and so well, just noted that in practice, they just weren't sharp. And if anyone thought that those reports were being overhyped <laughs> and that everything would kind of click together once the season started, the performance against the Dolphins showed that that definitely wasn't the case. That said, Belichick said in the past that the way the rules are set up now, it makes it hard for offensive lines to gel. This stuff takes time. But already Mac Jones has a back injury. And as we know, football is football. He could get injured at any time. But backs don't get better as the course of the no. season go on. It should be very interesting, to say the least. Before we go, though, Seth, what other products do you have uh, on the docket? Loved your McVeigh story. Oh, thanks. A little whack. Uh, yeah, always curious to see what you have coming up. Yeah, I mean, and Sean McVeigh someone like, who's just, you know, tried to take everything that he's learned and read and heard from Bill Belichick during the times they've gotten beers and kind of evolve it into his own personality and build it 
within his own team. Um, it was interesting to spend that much time with Sean. I visited him every month for five months straight. Wow. And to get a glimpse of someone who, look, Bill is such a great, he's such a presence in the culture and in the minds of his assistant coaches that as we've seen, often when they leave, they kind of feel like they're unconsciously mimicking him. And I think McVeigh is someone interesting because he he had a, enough self-assurance to be able to take some of the things he's learned from Bill and learned about Bill and apply it in his own way, in his own team. And I think that that's harder for young coaches than often we give them credit for. Um, I've started on a new book. It's not Patriots related. And I've got a couple stories that I've spent a couple months on that hopefully will be out, um, you know, relatively soon. And again, nothing Patriots related, but hopefully football fans will like them. Seth Wickersham, it's better to be feared now in paperback with a fresh new epilogue. Seth, thanks for the time as always. Great to talk to you, man.